Living the dream, Johnny. Oh, another episode of Talk About That. Can you believe it? We're together again today. We are. We're in your and bonus room. We have, I have a, an L-shaped sectional. My, one of my favorite jokes, Dimitri Martin, comedian, he used to say he had an L-shaped couch, uh, lowercase. <laughs> and I thought, that's, that's nice. Mine's a capital L, though. That's John's great. on one end of the L, and I'm on the other end of the L. Yeah, yeah. I have a birthday party uh, in Lebanon. My yeah. daughter is already at that I have to go to after this. Get to go to. I am honored <laughs> <laughs> to go to. A lot of par- Well, that's the thing. It's a, parties are happening again. That's something. That's well, new for you. You've been, you've been pretty hunkered down, bunkered down. Whatever it's called. I think both work. I mean, yeah. it's not a, quite a bunker. You don't but, bunker <clears throat> down. You hunker down in the bunker. <laughs> in the bunker. Hunker in the bunker. I saw Lowe's the other day outside. Yeah. A like tornado um, panic yes. room. Have you seen it? It's very, it's a metal box. And I could not imagine no, even a small I would family, rather die in a tornado. I said, oh my gosh. Than get in that box. It's Largo, so little. Largo's, can you imagine me, you, Sadie, uh, your mom, and the two dogs in that little, I mean, it's a tiny. Well, I guess you're only in there until it blows over. So it's not like you're in there for a long time. I think oh, of it as like, what if I'm in there for hours? What if it gets locked? What if a tree falls against it? And you can't get out. Yeah. Now you're just... You know, that happens. It's like a can of Spam in there. You're just curing and (laughs) slowly festering. You saw the Waco... You have not seen the Waco thing on Netflix with... uh, Yeah. You know what? I started watching the other day and realized we had seen it. It's the one that's been out for a while. It came out in 2018. It's just new to Netflix. We had seen it. Yeah, it has the guy from Friday Night Lights who plays David Koresh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it had been, I noticed that I Wikipedia to see if it was the same one, and it was, because we watched I was like, I think we've seen part of this. And sure enough, it was. But it said in the Wikipedia entry that critics found it problematic because it portrayed both sides. Some critics loved it, and some critics thought it found yeah. it problematic because it kind of portrayed both sides of the government versus the, the cult. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, I don't know. It was kind of, I felt it was kind of even-handed, and it showed... I mean, that was the, somebody was there, right? That was the guy who was there. Right. One of so. the, one of the books was based on was one of the survivors. Yeah. The guy jumps out the window at the end. So, I mean, I don't think he, maybe he had an extra grind, but I mean, you got to at least go, well, his opinion is valid, right? Well, yeah. I mean, he would have been in there. It's, I thought it was certainly more sympathetic, honestly, to, uh, the branch Davidians than it was to the government. Yeah. But the whole thing made me think of that was, is they put the tanks in with the tear gas mm-hmm. and they had put all the women and children into the cooler. Yeah, and yeah. then the building falls in and traps them in there with ga- you know, gas in an enclosed space like that. So it, it yeah. kills them also. That was my fear, man. Getting one of those little tornado things. I don't know, Johnny. That being said, I don't want to be in a house that's crashing down around me without one of those. So here Wait, we are. Isn't that just like our lives? Oh, my goodness. Sometimes Guys, thanks it for feels listening. like our house is crashing down around us. <laughs> Talk about that. The podcast is your tornado safe room guys just we are not a here. warning system though right so please don't consult because it'd be weird to listen to a podcast for warnings because you listen at your own leisure right so and we recorded we could be, this way ahead of it time it could be way off <laughs> <laughs> guys right now stop what you're doing and get indoors get, please get to an inside room three days ago we yeah. said that yeah we were right but it was we were right then yeah mm. Mm. you and i are both thinking of things to say but we're not you know what? We were right. But it was back then. Yeah. yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What else is going on? Well, we got, we're trying to get, uh, we're trying to get back towards sanity. I saw that you guys actually set a date for your return to church service. So your, at our church. your method, by the way, 
for us not spending an entire hour just talking about race. I just wanted to see if we could pivot pivot to to Corona. COVID. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, uh, but I'm fascinated by your approach as a church leader because, again, I'm pretty removed from that situation anymore. I used to be on staff at the church, but like it is tough because some people are, they rushed back. And uh, like there was a friend of mine who came back three weeks ago in Arkansas and now their numbers are up. And he put out a notice yesterday that they're not going to meet in person this week wow. because Arkansas had a spike or something. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. Now he's had to kind of backpedal, which is a bummer. But you do what you do to protect your people, I guess. Yeah. It, it is a daily. Um, but you guys are doing like a out, maybe outdoor thing. We're going to do an outdoor thing. We're going to move our weekend service on the weekend of the 28th from Sunday morning to Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And we're going to meet at 630. And we're going to sit in the parking lot. They'll park and then come in, bring your own chairs, yeah, like camp chairs or whatever. And we're going to ask them to sit with community groups yeah, because they've already been meeting. Yeah. Family or community groups. And if no, you don't have a community a tent, group. Though, what about weather? What are you going to? Well, if it's weather, we'll have to just right. reschedule. Um, so we'll probably just go in and record a live stream service and stream it that night. And if we have to, if, if we, yeah. you know, well, if we know by the weekend, probably if right. we have to push it back, but Outside, from all the research we're reading, even though it keeps changing, open air is mm-hmm. super safe compared to everything else. Yeah. And um, and so we meet with community groups. If you don't have a community group, then we'll have a tent of isolation. We'll put you there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, but we'll... You sit there and think about what you did. That's right. One of those bomb shelter things. <laughs> a tornado shelter. No, you get in here until you find you a community sit in here and you'll hear the, 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 this faint echo of a sermon. <laughs> the condemnation will continue until morale improves um but the idea is we're gonna it'll probably be a really stripped down there's no children you know you'll be with your family no children there'll be children you want children's workers or or children's programs you got to keep the kids with the parents because they can't distance you know what i'm saying like they're just gonna get down there and start rubbing slobber in each other's faces that's what kids do johnny that's uh that's how this all started probably probably and uh and then we'll we'll do Probably, you know, acoustic and a couple singers with a simple PA and yeah. it'll be very different. But we think people will be really excited to get to see each other. Um, I am busy, but no, I'll probably, <laughs> probably be there. <laughs> it'll be fun. I mean, it's our, we keep coming back and we, we actually talk about that this morning. It's a very, it's a big morning of honesty. We talked about, look guys, we have had targets multiple times. Yeah. And when we get close to them, it's time to start announcing. We're like, you know, numbers are going up a little bit in Tennessee right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we do hear about local churches who came back and are having to shut down or have sick, you know, congregate congregation members now. Um, and so it's not like we're looking for a moment where there's no risk. That's never going to come. Right. That's going to be probably a year away. Well, I mean, even then, I mean, it could be something else. And so we're right. not caught in that. We just had to be okay. Like, okay, somebody out there thinks that we're just fearful. And, and so, Hey, here's the deal. That's not true. <laughs> um, we actually are, are really attempting this. You can have that opinion, I suppose, but I mean, pretty much the staff and elders and most of us, I mean, are, are wanting it. Right. I use the illustration of being a bus driver. I drove bu- kids, bus full of kids around yeah. the country for years. When you're on the bus and you're heading somewhere, everybody in the back wants you to adjust the air. They want you to adjust the heat. They want you to pull over to go to the bathroom and above all else, they want you to get there faster. Mm-hmm. 
Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And, and he, you know, so do I. I want to get there faster and I want you to be comfortable along the way and all those things. But if there's a rainstorm that I'm driving through, I don't have any choice as the driver but to slow down to the speed that I think is safe to keep all 50 passengers safe. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to go slower actually because I'm a bus driver than I would in a car because there's more people involved. So me personally, you know, I'm more likely to go out into, into the store. I still wear a mask and all those things, though pretty much, I mean, it's probably half and half are doing that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do my best, but when you're leading an organization, it's just not as simple as, well, we should go as fast as you would in a car. Like we're in a bus <laughs> and we got to think about, you know, the best way to get us all there safely that's possible. Uh, and we may try something that may not work. We may try something and we do have a big And spike. loading 50 people on a bus right now is the least safe thing you could do, John. <laughs> Your analogy <laughs> is already so flawed. It is. It's so full of, it's funny you'd use an analogy. You just gave everyone there COVID. <laughs> no, be the Everyone p- on the bus has it. The circulation's terrible. Guys, it's a metaphorical bus. Oh, um, yeah. a magic school bus. I know. I know. I use a lot of metaphors and uh, analogies and similes. No, it's true, and I like. I mean, I that's the thing when you when some when I say when I think of something being politicized, that's what I think of is when it becomes like a if you are wanting to get things back to normal, then you must feel this about this, and if you want to hold off, then you must also be this. It's like no, we can have a balanced approach. Yeah, you know, it's like the you wanting to make assumptions about everybody based on. It's like yeah, there's there's a reticence that's just care. Uh, you know, it's just like, oh, I want to take really, I want to be really careful. I'm, I'm sure a lot of congregations, the older people are being extra careful. In fact, you know, to that end, let me read something to you from, that I saw this morning. It's a long thread, but I think it takes that sentiment, whether it's about race or whether it's about COVID and all those things. Um, from Shy Lynn, uh, and I saw a few pastors retweet this. It says, a thread on labels. Did you see this? Mm -hmm. A thread on labels, categorizing and discourse among Christians in our current cultural movement. It's just worth it. So worth it. These days, the labels are flying around like crazy, often used pejoratively and almost always unhelpful. SJW, woke, Marxist, etc. from another or from another standpoint, Karen, white evangelical, Trumpers, etc. I understand the desire to label and categorize people in their positions. It helps us to file them away in our mental folder. Once I stick a label on you, I can easily say he or she is an ally, and I, or I can get, say canceled and be done with them, and I get it. First thing, there is nothing Christian about canceling anybody. Christians are commanded to bear with one another, and if one has to complain against another, forgiving each other, just as the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive, Colossians 3.13. Along with that, it's become popular to accuse people of virtue signaling. It seems to me that by definition, you can't lob that accusation at someone without judging the motives of a person's heart. But we're Christians, so we try not to do that, right? But I chuckle when I hear virtue signaling said about me, because if doing slash saying the popular thing is what drove me, I would have started years before now. I'd probably have fewer gray hairs, a few more fans, and former friends still around if I did. One of the reasons I've always been hesitant to engage a lot on social media is because of what I perceive to be its inherent limitations regarding nuance and context, which are necessary ingredients for effective communication. But I understand that social media is a primary form of public discourse in our culture, so I try to steward it and use speech that won't leave me ashamed at the last day when I have to give an account, Matthew twelve thirty six. I don't always get it right. I need God's grace for when I don't. Much of what I've said recently may seem new to some people. Like I've caught 
like I'm caught up in a current wave or something. But I've literally said these things for years. It's on my first album. It's on The Atonement, really sprinkled throughout my work. Actually, actually. But it was sprinkled intentionally rather than saturated because I believe then and still believe that the gospel must be primary. The person slash work of Christ is the most important thing I can share with anybody. But I'm going to but I'm not going to ignore important gospel implications. I try to be faithful to the conviction of knowing nothing but Christ and him crucified for close to 20 years of public ministry. So if a single tweet or article can throw me into your SJW folder, you might want to examine why it's so easy for you to do that. People are complex humans or complex beings. That's how God made us. Most people are bigger than the mental folders we place them in. It's possible for two, and this is the part I really wanted to read. It's possible for two or 2,000 things to be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. I can wholeheartedly agree with and appreciate things about John MacArthur or Jonathan Edwards, for example, and at the same time, wholeheartedly disagree with them about other things. And you can fill that blank in with any number of Christian public figures. Jesus does not fit neatly, neatly into our common modern polarizing categories. So why should we expect his followers to? If we're faithful to the Bible, there should be times when everybody's toes get stepped on, including our own. So am I reformed? Yes. Cessationist? No. Republican? No. Does that make me a Democrat? No. Am I conservative? In some ways. Am I liberal? Liberal about what? Marriage? No. Theology? No. Justice for the poor and oppressed? Yes. Depending on what you mean. Do I hate and grieve abortion? Yes. Do I hate and grieve police brutality and racial injustice? Yes. Do I see a place for peaceful protest of both things? Yes. Do I support rioting and looting? No. No. I, do I think proclaiming the gospel in word and deed is the church's mission? Yes. Do I think many reformed churches are severely lacking when it comes to dis- discipling members on issues related to racism and injustice? Yes. I could literally go on for hours, and if we sat down for a socially distanced cup of tea, there are many things I'm sure we'd be surprised to learn about each other. But none of that would change that Christ is our treasure and the gospel is our only hope. The benefit of the doubt is something we always want from others, but we have a hard time extending. That's because it's a gift that we're more prone to give to those we love. So if you love me, I'd really appreciate that gift, and I'll try to give it back. Thanks. Mm. Dude, I thought he nailed it. I mean, nailed that whole... I think dichotomy of, hey, if we don't want to come back after quarantine, either we're fearful or we're uh-huh. irresponsible, and there could be something in between. And, of course, it all applies to the race conversation as well. But just that idea, I think I think it's dangerous to be tribal. It's just dangerous to be tribal outside of the tribe. In fact, I was having a text conversation with someone this week, and they were talking about how like you can't ascribe or not ascribe to any sort of ism now. It's, it's required. I said, look – the gospel and the church, those are my isms. Like, that's where I'm going to have to lie. Mm-hmm. And if if the conservative movement does something antithetical to those isms, then I will call it out. If the liberal right. movement does something antithetical to those isms, then I will call it out. Like, I, I may stand in certain areas where, you know, those sides come right. to the A center. A Venn diagram. You, it may overlap sometimes. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, yeah, that you're going to lockstep. With everything, I mean, God help us if that was the case, yeah. that everything our government does, we as Christians have to just sign off on it because, well, we have to pray for our leaders and support. It's like, yeah. uh, hold on, hold on. Who who do we really serve? Right. When the country was started, by the way, as a protest against government leaders and the church that most of us are a part of, and I hope we have a lot of Catholic listeners as well, but I, w- I would guess by and large, they're Protestants. Mm-hmm. They're a product of protesting 
abuses of the Catholic corruption. Church. Yeah, yeah. We we protested. That's how this all. That's how Martin Luther nailed, you know, his theses to the wall. Excuse me, to the door is saying, hey. He might have done it to the wall too, Johnny. I don't know. Uh, he was like, I can't get this nail into this wall. So he moved over to the door. But the deal was, it it wasn't like it was a it was a public disagreement. Was it one at a time, or was it a nail that went through all ninety five? Ninety five nails, Johnny. No, that, no, it was one. That's it a project. Was, I think it was one document. One one document, and he just. Yeah, I'm assuming it was a stack of pages. So. I wonder if they heard it hammered through the door. It was like somebody's at the door. They just thought it was like a knock. <laughs> the guy's you know? knocking a long time. Yeah. With a heavy handed fist. <laughs> <laughs> These are the questions I have about the yeah. Protestant Reformation. What was the hammer like? Like, I just have the dumbest. What kind of hammer did he use? You know, I wrote about him in the uh, Ultimate Guy for the Avenue Endorsement. Did not know. My whole section on doors and okay. how important doors are because they're, the, they're literally. The doorway between the outside and the inside. <laughs> a door is a doorway. <laughs> I think I said it better. Uh, yeah. You would have to have said it better, John. That book's been published. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, a window is like a window <laughs> into your house. I think I I forget what I said. I'm not reading from it right now. Again, I don't even, Johnny, I don't even quote myself right, you know. Yeah. Did I tell you, by the way, and this is really, really cool, and I'm not hawking one of my books here, but this is really cool for my friend Tyler Trent, who passed away, and for his family, that we got notification this week. And I'm not sure about this. I've been researching it. I even asked one of my publisher friends, like, hey, is this legit? Like, you know, but it's really cool nonetheless, and I'm pretty sure it's legit what I've seen. There is a company called Book Authority, Mm -hmm. and they're owned by Amazon, and it's it's there's a list they keep or a lot of lists they yeah. keep that they that you don't sounds very militant let me just say that book authority it's a book like authority. they storm your house and <laughs> hand you reading materials and if force you, know you to read them for you sit down read this <laughs> book authority out and then they <laughs> well they you don't apply for it right they just have algorithms that it's not just sales. They track impact of a book. They're tracking sentiment. Yeah. And they're tracking like, I know that we had like Dick Vitale tweeted about the book. Yeah. Um, various people, uh, the vice president tweeted about mm-hmm. the book because he was the you know may, uh, former governor of Indiana and they're from Indiana. Right. Um, and they kind of follow, I guess it picks out what's being said in terms of its cultural impact. And so we talk about cancer. We talk about suffering. We talk about a lot of things. And of course, it's related to college football. And so anyway, this week, um, the upset by Tyler Trent, and then I got to write with him as he was in the middle of this and he passed, you know, before we were finished, um, it made the list of the top 100 best American biographies of all time. Uh, and that list changes every day, but right now it's on that list. And I started looking at that list. Yeah. And like. Some of your heroes are on the list. Oh probably. my gosh. Yeah. Like, uh, I love, I love reading John Meacham who wrote Soul of America, who wrote that book on Thomas Jefferson and, and John Adams. And he actually um, won the Pulitzer Prize for one of his books. Yeah. I mean, some of his books are on there. Some of my other favorite historians are on there because it's biographies, you know? Yeah. And that was cool too, because this was an autobiography somewhat, but it's also unique because he had, we had to write actively together and I had to do a lot of writing that he wasn't yeah. capable of. So we got his ideas, his stories, his videos, a lot of videos. So anyway, I'm really excited for the Trent family and very honored. So you should go check it out. And they also, by the way, it made two other lists. It made, um, 
also the top college football books of all time and the top American sports book of all time. That's crazy. So for now it's American or sorry, book authority. Uh, and I'm just really, really proud. And and the trends were tweeting about it this week. And I love Tony and Kelly. They've been guests on the podcast before. Um, so yeah, Hey, maybe if you see that for them, we're still trying to, to talk about the message and the memory of Tyler Trent and, and what he, what well, it raised awareness for cancer research yeah. as well. And, uh, yeah, his story's amazing. And the way he held onto his faith all the, the way through this terrible ordeal he went oh, through. Oh my goodness. And he's raised, uh, the, since he's passed $2 million have been raised for cancer research. And again, we talked about in that one podcast, but there's actual cells are called T2, Tyler Trent, T2 cells that. Mm they are growing his cells as they study osteosarcoma and they're making huge progress with it. So it's like he donated part of his cells. And so his family went to a ceremony. It was crazy, you know, where they're looking at a, at a dish that has living cells from their son who passed away, even though it's not the cells they wanted to live, but it's bringing hope and helping people who yeah, maybe could, to, who maybe could survive now because they understand the disease more. That's so amazing. yeah, check out the upset. Go on Amazon and if you see that book authority post, you know, I mean, again, it's just something so exciting for for Tyler. One of them said Tyler would be so like excited. One of the last things he wanted to do was write a book. Yeah, he want he was a writer, he was a reporter, and so wow, his book. I mean, it's not like we're a New York Times bestseller or anything, but that's pretty cool that hey, it, made, it made a list. Yeah, it's cool yeah. to just uh, it just um, spreading awareness of the book and therefore awareness of the cause. Yep. And I just think it's fascinating that none of your other books have helped anyone except yourself. <laughs> this true. is your one contribution. Everything else is like, hey, buy the outdoorsman book; it'll help me. Me, oh my goodness! The John Driver Foundation. That hurts. John Driver Authority. JohnDriver.com hashtag John Driver. <laughs> But, it's, it's true. It's true. But buy those books too. Buy all the books. Nah. What are you doing? You're, I mean, there's nothing to do except read right now. Yeah. Sit in your lawn chair by your massive pool. Oh, it's. Oh wait, that's just you. It's only four and a half None feet of us deep. Have. It's. Uh, yeah, but it's it's who, an acre that wide. That would even come up to your like. <laughs> it would pecs, be up to your pecs. To, oh, yeah. Okay, there we go. Actually, I'm starting to get pecs now. I'm, you know, I'm lifting weights now, dude. You look amazing. I'm starting to get a little. Uh, yeah, there's a little. Uh, and you're running like crazy. Yeah, I uh, I had. Well, the man boobs are gone, and so now they're being slowly replaced by uh, pectoral muscles. Oh, that's awesome. I had no idea they were under there the whole time, bro. They were. They were hiding out. Isn't that just, just like our lives? It is. Sometimes what you have is what you don't want. And, you and then to, you have to work. Yeah. There was used to be somebody that says, you know, life is like a ketchup bottle. It looks really full from the outside, but it takes a lot of work to get anything out of it. <laughs> and that, that's, nice. that's my pectoral muscle. That's nice. My pectoral muscle probably uh, did not benefit from as much ketchup as I was eating. Mm. So that's how it ties together. Mm. Too much ketchup. All metaphors have their limits, Johnny. They do. Well, and I've I've still not lost enough weight. That anybody, I've, I will say a couple people have said, are you okay? Because I've lost like 90 pounds, 95 pounds. But I used to have a joke about that, about how no one ever asked me if I was sick. I've never lost enough weight. I'm still a big guy. I've never lost enough weight that anybody's ever worried about. Johnny's Johnny sick. Yeah. So the best I can do is like I have friends that be like, look who's down to a B cup. Good job, buddy. <laughs> and they smack me. Uh, and that's hurtful. Yeah, guys, then, why are you saying that to Johnny? Yeah, that's, come on, that's, guys. Uh, I can't believe they said that. Men, guys can be cruel. Can't they, though? Fellas are the worst with each other. I don't know, if we, do women do that? Do women, women don't do that. 
I don't think like if you're getting fat, your guy friends will be like, getting fat. <laughs> There's no way. I've never seen a group of women like, what's going on with you? Yeah. Mildred? I don't know. I'm just trying to make I up an imaginary. Sometimes, I, I think that that happens among family sometimes. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, that's true. Your family, they'll I, say it, and it's like they don't even understand. Like, yeah. it cuts so deep. Yeah, like it cuts just as much as... Like a, your mom. Like, if you don't get approval from your mom. Yeah. Ugh. My mom tells me that I look skinny and great every day. That's nice. And even well, when, she is living in your house. Even though. when I know that I... She'd be like, well, all right, you get to stay another week. <laughs> <laughs> go go check, on the, check the box on the wall, mom. You yeah. said it today. <laughs> Gold star. She's so kind, but she always says that to me. And it, it is. It makes me want to go drink another milkshake. Like, what I need to hear probably is, you know, son, you've put on... Because I have probably put on five to ten right now. I need to. I need to actually step on the scale Monday and find out. But the last oh, few wow. weeks, you know, I'm running. I, okay, but if I wasn't running right now, there's no way to know what would be happening with me because I'm eating more. Well, you got to eat more. You're working out. That maybe yeah, that's you, yeah, yeah. So like Sadie made cupcakes yesterday, homemade from scratch. Like okay, baked them, put all, made the cream cheese, the whole deal. And here's the deal: you can't not eat your kids. That's cooking. the deal. It's like yeah, it's like you're rejecting her yeah. art project if you don't. And she'll do it all the time. She makes her own popsicles right now. Okay. She has a little popsicle uh, mold. Does she make anything healthy, John? No, Is there any, like not asparagus a spear? No, you know, she'll eat asparagus. A kale now. salad for you? She makes stuff, and then she's like, Daddy, Daddy, will you have? And you're like, and she's doing really great. Like, she has learned so much. Uh, I would love to say from me, but it's all from Laura about tastes these and aren't flavors. keto. These aren't keto snacks. They're though. not. You can't. And so now you can make a keto cupcake, couldn't like, you? You could, but she's tastes not like making a, that. Tastes like a doorstop. Yeah, it would be a little dense. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> just a little, thank you for the sponge. With now, Laura can make delicious keto. Uh, uses almond flour and things like that. She, yeah, yeah. She can replicate. She made a keto lasagna this week, Johnny. Mm-hmm. Just as good as regular as long. I'm troubled by how much cauliflower is getting in everything. It's just a pretender. Cauliflower, I would, I like, like the keto lasagna. What I like about it is, is it strips of like chicken lunch meat mm-hmm. and for the, and when it's covered in all of the sauce and everything, right. you, it has the same texture as the noodles. It really, really does. You, I can't tell. The only thing I can tell difference when I eat Laura's keto lasagna, it tastes just the same. It tastes just as good. Uh-huh. And afterwards, I don't feel as tired. That's it. Like, because I didn't take in just that mound right. of carbs. Get the carb coma. So that's a great, that, that, that's a huge compliment. Like, the only difference between yours and the real thing is I feel better after that's eating That's what it. we mean when we say comfort food, usually, is that you feel like lying down after you eat it. Right. I'm so tired now. I can't think about I want to lay problems. under a comforter. <laughs> Fetch me the comforter. I've had comfort food. I don't have the energy for real life anymore. I'm just going to fall asleep here. Can and- you slowly pour gravy all over my head? <laughs> that's what you're really saying. Because that's the feeling of it as it washes over your body. It's like the gravy is coating oh. you somehow. Can you somehow tell me how many years you just took off of my life that I won't have to live in this cruel world? That's when yeah. it got dark. You yeah, know, you got it a did. little dark there. but Yeah, that should you- be in the recipe books, how many years it takes off right. your life. This will taste like this, this many calories, and you'll live two months less than you would have. <laughs> you're if like, you, you know what? It's worth, worth it. it. Yeah. Worth it. And then you had the other where you're adding, you're adding months back. Can you add months back by eating right? That's the question. Huh. Maybe. I don't know. Like every, for every mile I run, do I get a certain few minutes? And is it the exact amount of time that I've already ran? That would be a bummer. Wow. Yeah. You're like, well, you ran a 10 minute mile. You've added 10 minutes to your life. <laughs> well, I could have spent that time smoking. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what if you smoke while you're running? 
that interesting. Friend, it's like you're canceling out. What does it do? Yeah, remember that? That's like celery. Doesn't celery have the amount of calories that eating it and digesting it is? It's a it's a it, negative calorie. It burns more, right? Burns more to eat it and digest it. Yeah. So they say. I don't know. I always. I'm going to try to run a mile with a cigar today and see what happens. Run a mile with celery. I would say, okay. That'll do it. Light the celery on fire. Well, people already hear me coming behind them. They're like, what is that freight train? Because I'm breathing heavy. <laughs> but if they heard like a crunch too, that would be alarming. <laughs> They're like, this guy. <laughs> yeah, so we're actually recording this on a Sunday. Yeah, um, I just watched your your prepared, uh, planned, pre-shot sermon, I guess it was. It was kind of more of a statement. Yeah, we didn't call it a statement. We called it a perspective. Okay. That's yeah. kind of like people who call their uh, weekend experiences, their their <laughs> Sunday morning services. Statement sounds very much, because again, I, we told, the reason is I think we, I spoke, Andrew and I worked on this together, and then I kind of delivered it mm-hmm. um, into the camera. It's 20 minutes, and it was more of a, hey, both of us growing up grew up like this and had, because we have very similar experiences growing up. Right. Which is hard to put that, that's not like a statement on your website, you're going to write that. Of hey we as but we wanted to communicate first I think as leaders and as the primary um, you know mouthpieces of the messaging of what happens at the church and so sort of just sharing our own issues and our own journey and where we needed to say we've not been right on the issue of race and and where we're going to proclaim some things yeah. to not just do better but to think differently and 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 grow in that so um, yeah yeah I mean I think it. I don't know. It's been a, it's been a hard, not hard, I think, but, but, um, a very healthy, difficult journey of having those conversations, you know, of, of, of what they mean that needs to happen. We need to be uncomfortable here and grow. So yeah, I mean, heard from the staff, you know, this morning and, and, and they were very, uh, supportive. I did pray last night. I told you this. I prayed last night. Like I maybe, maybe what we need is negative responses. I mean, right. how else are people whom we all love each other. That's how we grow sometimes. I want to be the first negative response, John. (laughs) I thought the makeup you chose was a little pancakey. Yeah. You know, I don't wear makeup on camera, Johnny. Although I will say I did that. That's your face. I did that interview on, uh, (laughs) that's your face. I did that interview on the Nashville Today Show, you know, Mm -hmm. last Oh, and you had the sheen. Boy, I tell you, I wish I would. They said, bring your own makeup. I was like, it was like when you pulled a bowling ball out of the, the shino machine. <laughs> it's just like that, man. I was like, wow, those lights are really, it's like I was an extra stage light mm-hmm. on the stage and it was my head. So you don't even do a little powder or nothing. You just, I, you have it, your head's more tan now. So that helps. I will do powder next time. If I ever get invited oh, back. For, uh, under the, what I heard was, is they yeah. loved the interview, but they could not understand why a man's head would be so shiny. And so that was it. They were done with me. So it's already hurt me once, Johnny, in the industry. <sighs> I tell you what, so. this I'm sorry that you've been, you've been through so much. I have been, it's been hard. (laughs) (laughs) I do, I do, I have a hard time even saying this week to some friends, like, it's been a hard week because it feels so spoiled and entitled. Yeah. I realize how, it's just hard for me to encounter this, yet I have the privilege to not have to encounter it if I don't want to. I can, right. And so I'm really trying not to do that. I think it's a good, it's good to feel discomfort for the right reasons and then realize others feel this discomfort. They can't just disengage, you know, because they want to. Yeah. And one thing, uh, somebody was saying this, I did an event with, uh, in South Dakota a few months ago and he was talking about, he was a youth famous, pretty, pretty well-known youth pastor in Atlanta area. 
And one of the things he posted was like the people who've been saying forever that like this generation is spoiled and they're lazy and they don't care. And they like, we're seeing through these demonstrations. Now, some of them have gotten out of hand. There's been property destroyed, but I mean, if we're seeing the, the vast majority of them have been peaceful Yeah, and it's every color it's. And so he's very heartened by that, that people are expressing an opinion. They're involved. Yeah. And he's like, we're in good hands. I thought it was an interesting perspective from a minister who's, I mean, that's the thing is when you're a pastor in the South, there's a, an expectation that you're going to be all about law and order and the status quo. Yeah. And a lot of times that's really antithetical to what the gospel is. It's yeah. just like, just let it keep happening. Whatever has been happening, just like, that's the opposite of what Jesus came to do. And yeah. and again, I'm not, we're not talking about throwing bricks through windows and ruining small businesses and looting. I'm just talking about standing up for what's right and the idea of voicing your opinion, showing solidarity with people who've been marginalized. Yeah. I've been kind of heartened by that as well. Uh, but again, it is a thing where you go, you almost have to check yourself because you go, you, and you find yourself going, when is this going to be back to normal? Yeah. And like, basically what you're saying is, I want to go back to the way things were. I didn't have to think about this. Yeah. You know? And uh, that's a very, like you said, it's a very privileged mindset that I'm trying to check myself on. Because it's like, I want there to be peace, but I want there to be justice too. Yeah. Like there's a peace that's acquired from justice. That's a real, a real peace. That's what uh, Martin Luther King talked about. And then there's just a status quo, like, let's wait till these protests die down. Right. And I, I think we want the first one. You know, well, and again, I, I remember I said this morning on the thing, like, "Hey, we're not waiting for the news cycle to pass on this one." Yeah, like because that's that that's that same sentiment. Like, well, this will die down, and you do hope, obviously, people who are misusing this opportunity for looting and violence and other things. And we said that, you know, today we don't endorse that, and and, and we also don't like. I mean, my gosh, I have a uh, a friend who's uh, a a police officer in a major metropolitan area yeah, who is appalled at the abuse of power, appalled. And he said every detective on the force he knows is appalled. Yeah. And that there are things that need to happen. You know, like it's not like, and this is what we tell our church, like we don't have to pick. Mm-hmm. Like we can say, Hey guys, the, the, whether it's the looters or whether it's uh, the, the police, the actions of a small group, you know, we don't know how small or large the groups are. We do know they're smaller than us in terms of the church at large right. and those who are trying to, you know, speak for biblical justice. And and so, especially when officers uh, and protesters are a part of the body of Christ, mm-hmm. then we can just say, hey, I mean, we honor these guys and, and, and honor by guys, I mean, universally men and women. We can honor those and say, we're not out to get every cop or we're not out to say every protester is a looter. We're not out to, you know, and, and there's that, that need to, that word marginalize is such a, a word we use in, a, in a, a poverty or justice type context. But the truth is we do that. We margin, we push you to the margins. We yeah. push you to the edges uh, so that it clears the way for our space, our ideology that, that yeah. we don't realize. Our ide- we all have ideology right? that it's not uh, encroached upon in a way that makes us uncomfortable. Right. Well, you see, we've seen it. Uh, you know, I've, we've talking before this about how I'm trying to figure out a way to be less involved on Twitter without it killing my career because I feel like it's hurting my mental health. And like 
this process. Because I think what happens is I do it too, but I feel like people boil you down to like, oh, if you say you're for this, well, then I've already known nine other things about you. Right. Like you and I have both been accused of being like uh, too liberal or too progressive on issues because of this podcast. Like, oh, well, well, it's almost like they want to discard us. Well, we know that you're for this if you're for this. It's like, okay. Somebody uh, somebody said that yesterday. They were like, because I said something about the Confederate memorials. I made a joke about it, about how, you know, the same. Is it interesting that some of the same people who uh, say that my generation didn't give out trophies to losers, they're arguing to keep these Confederate memorials. And then I put hashtag participation award. And, you know, it got a ton of heat uh, as far as like it got a ton of likes and retweets. But then it got some backlash. Uh, of the past, past few days, because that was actually before a lot of this stuff was being pulled down. It was like a couple of days right before. Mm-hmm. So now I even thought that I thought, man, my timing was a little bit off. I should have, you know, this was an, an opinion I should have said two days later, but somebody was posting today, like, where does it end? Uh, what about Columbus? Uh, and I was just like, well, I didn't say like, it's almost like a deflection. Like I was like, I didn't say anything about Columbus. Right. But I mean, if if you really want to make Columbus's really complicated legacy your hill to die on, if I was a Native American, <laughs> I would probably have a hard time looking at Columbus's statue too. But this idea of these these things are we whitewash? Are we are, are we uh, scrubbing our history of these things if we do this? And I was like, you know what? Sometimes when you have a problem, a systemic problem uh, in your body, uh, you have to have surgery. And something has to be removed before the problem gets fixed. Yep. And so to me, that's what this is. This is a surgery. And is it going to fix everything? I mean, is this, is this, I mean, is this what people are protesting for? No, but it is a sign that we're willing to move forward. You sent me a thing. You sent me a photo of one of the statues that's, that stood from the 1800s all the way till two years ago. Yep. And the placard on it, the engrave, the engraving on it, was so crazy to me. It was like something you would see in like a a movie about like the apocalypse. You know, it's it's like something you would go, well, that's a bygone era that we've luckily moved past, or or that's some weird vast hellscape that we hope we never go to. And it was in the city square of a town in Louisiana, right? Yep. It was the state capital. It was New Orleans. New Orleans. Yep. Which is a very, uh, yep. I mean, how many people of color have to go walk by this? Yeah. So read me what it said. Do you have the thing in front of you? Yeah. This was until 2017. It was finally taken down. Yeah. It said, um, hold on, Cindy. So this is, this is the engraving. Like this is not somebody telling right. Like I'm looking at a photo yeah. <laughs> of it. It says United States troops took over the state government and reinstated the usurpers. But the national election, November 1876, <laughs> that's 12 years after the Civil War, recognized white supremacy in the South and gave us our state. And this is what we talked about in the last podcast with Reggie. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not making this up. Like historically, this is the lost cause. Yeah. The, those who were for white supremacy were absolutely intentionally, it's all in their documentation. It's on the monuments. They were propagating a message of we will forever, we may have lost the war, Right. The white supremacy will remain. Yeah. And the way we'll do that is, is we'll, you know, do it in the, in the curriculum. We'll do it in whatever we're allowed to. Now, why is 1876 so important for that? Well, because you had Andrew Johnson at, you know, after 
as president after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. And then you had Ulysses S. Grant, mm-hmm. who served two terms. Ulysses S. Grant, uh, whose parents were abolitionists and who himself, his wife's family owned slaves. Yeah. Okay. And in fact, they gave him a slave and he was already like on the forefront. We don't have a lot of record him early being like an abolitionist, like his parents, but we have record that he would work in the fields with the slaves. Yeah. And it was super like people hated him for it. Like it was a big deal. And eventually he goes to the local authorities and he pays to set his slave free. Yeah. And that was how he, he had a change of, okay, this is what I'm going to do with this. So when he's president, he keeps troops in the South to enforce the law. Yeah. Because the law now states that there are equal rights under the constitution. And so reconstruction, which is putting the nation back together in a different way than it was before the, the white troops are there, excuse me, the, the union troops are occupying the South to right. enforce it. And during that period, again, you have lots of black, um, historical colleges being started, started. You have lots of black owned small businesses. And, yes. You right. have people engaging in the stock market. You have black people, um, who are also running for office and writing books. And there's, it's a beautiful kind of like thing. And the only reason it's able to persist is that the soldiers won't allow, of course, you know, at this point, right, Nathan, they're enforcing the law. Nathan Bedford Forrest has started the KKK at this point. Mm-hmm. And Ulysses S. Grant, it's just like the civil war is still going on. These two guys fought against each other in the civil war. And he just keeps using the troops to put it down. He actually destroys the KKK organization, locks them all up, kills them, whatever. Like if they, if they resist the the union army did not let the KKK go forth. And so it's gone. And then in 1876, so 12 years after the civil war, when Ulysses S. Grant's second term comes to a close, Mm -hmm. it's a hung election and there is no constitutional amendment yet because now we had a hung election like Gore and Bush in 2000, then it goes to the house of representatives. Right. They didn't have that yet. There was no provision for that. No provision. And so for like three months, it's just in leeway what's going to happen. No one knows. And Ulysses S. Grant just stays in office past November. He just stays in, or excuse me, past January until they can figure it out. And basically, it's a backroom deal, not between elected officials, but between the two candidates and all of their cronies or all their people. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was Rutherford B. Hayes. I'm sorry, I'm looking at it right now, but he is actually the Republican candidate, the party of Lincoln, okay, right. who wants to continue. But the only way that they'll let quote unquote, the right party stay in office uh-huh. is if they uh, agree to, so the right party who's supposedly going to reinforce or enforce reconstruction has to agree to let the troops leave the South. Right. Which and threw that, it into chaos. And they make the deal in that right there is where Jim Crow you give laws, up all the, you give all the progress. And I told you, made. yeah, it was like, it was like, I mean, again, guys, and this is not like, this is history. This is not, I'm not like making up commentary with, it. I'm just telling you what they, what happened. That's why that, that uh, monument I just read from says in November of 1876, they gave us back our state and, and now, white supremacy, and white supremacy, white supremacy in yeah. the South. Like yeah. it was a huge, huge deal. And it, it's, it's, yeah. So to pretend these monuments, in other words, were not about like, let's intimidate oh, yeah. and let's rewrite history. 
like to pretend that they're just, well, I'm just honoring a guy who went to war and maybe he didn't, wasn't fighting for the right thing, but he fought for what he believed in. He still deserves honor. That's not what these statues were for. No, this was erected in the 1890s, yeah. 30 something years after the mm-hmm. war was over. Yeah. Now I'm all, listen, I have a place for, and I heard, I think the mayor of New Orleans, I think it was, say this, there's a place for at a battlefield. There is a place for at a battlefield where men died and right. where they fell and they were buried for there to be something erected there as a cemetery Yeah, to say, and, and we talk about this, I'm not, I, by the way, I have ancestors who fought uh-huh. for the Confederacy. Yeah. So I'm not denying like that that's my family or, you know, I mean, I have ancestors that have done lots of good things and lots of bad things. I can still acknowledge them, honor them, all those things. Um, I also, though, to acknowledge that because I honor them, I have to honor every single ideology that they held that that yeah. that may have not been right. Well, I yeah. don't do that whether it's race or anything else. Right? If they thought the Earth, if my if my ancestors back thought that the Earth dropped off into space somewhere, uh-huh. sorry, I'm not mean to call it the flat Earth people, but I don't go. Well, guys, I have to. We honor have to honor their, their ideas, right? So forever, if they thought you know that fire somewhere back in time was all demonic, you know, because it was so right. mysterious to watch, I wouldn't honor that. Like I would be like, hey, man, I'm grateful that I have ancestors and I can honor them and where right. they're from. I don't have to hold to all their ideologies yeah. with in, in order, and I don't have to disrespect them either. I can just say we keep growing and, right. and we keep learning. We move on. We put down. We put down the flag they were carrying. We pick up a different one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. That's what I can't stand this. Hypocrisy is kind of my glitch. The same people that were upset at Colin Kaepernick for supposedly disrespecting the flag, even though he told him time and again, that's not what I'm doing. They will fly. Some of those same people will fly a Confederate flag, which is the ultimate disrespect to our flag. It literally was a rebel flag in rebellion of the union. Yes, it's 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 just a, it is a flag of again. You need to go read your history. Like that idea is so funny that you can hold those two ideas in your head and like not see the cognitive dissonance of those and go, nope, he's a bad guy. We're good guys. Or you know, you won't. And it's find not about it. white supremacy. Yeah, it kind of is. You will rarely <laughs> find an American if you said, you know what, Abraham Lincoln was a horrible president. Mm-hmm. That we, well, no, he wasn't. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. We honor these guys. Right. The Confederacy killed Abraham Lincoln mm-hmm. and would have done it sooner. The Confederacy existed. They hated him so badly that when he got elected, that's when they began secession. Like he was hated beyond measure. And so it's hard to revere this American icon as a symbol of the union and also revere the very reason that he had to preserve the union was because he, and again, was Abraham Lincoln anti-slavery? That's always a big thing. Well, he eventually became anti-slavery, at least in his policies. But the deal was, and this is just historically right. All of this is about westward expansion. As long as there was a balance, and Abraham Lincoln was willing to keep the peace with the balance. Look, we're not going to come take away slavery in the South because he knows it'll be a war. It was a war that killed 600,000 people he mm-hmm. was trying to avoid. But we're also going to that his deal was as long as there's this this balance of it because then in the congress everybody kind of has still their power when you have states coming into the union uh, especially after the mexican-american war and don't even get us started on what we did to take land from mexico geez but you, you, when, when you have these things begin to come in these territories begin to become states are they going to be slave states they're going to be free states and if you allow that's where bleeding kansas comes from like all these wars break out among 
among anti-slavery, pro-slavery sentiment in the states where they're yeah. voting and they're trying to keep people from voting this way or that way. Because if a new free state comes in, guess what? The balance of power is altered in the national, federal, constitutional Congress. And then if you allow a slave state to come in, then they're going to have more power. That was the major issue mm-hmm. was they believed that Lincoln would be more likely when states came into the union, new states, that he would be more likely to support them coming in as free. And so when he got elected, boom, we're, we're seceding. We no longer want to be part of this nation. And what's crazy is, I mean, there's an argument to be made because that's exactly how the United States started in the first place. It was, an, it was another revolution of ideology and thought, yeah. whether it's what we agree with or not, that you know, they believe state, that's where the states' rights thing comes into it. They believe that the states had the right to secede. And so it was a radical viewpoint a little bit to say, well, no, you don't. We're now a union. Uh, and so, I mean, there's, there's validity to all of that, that, okay, and then just like the American Revolution, a war was going to be fought to decide <laughs> what, not, not what was constitutionally right, but who was going to win that. And it happened to be that they didn't win that. But I think it's okay to acknowledge, I'm, I'm a, I love hearing and learning about the, the Civil War. And I don't think, I mean, the ideology you're born into is difficult for you without outside information to know anything other than. Right. I'd also don't think everybody who fought for the union was some sort of abolitionist person on a, on a mission for the good of humanity. Yeah. There's certainly racism on both sides. There's certainly not good intentions on both sides. And there's a lot of boys just got caught in the middle who had no choice. They were called up into these armies. And if yep. you turn and ran, they would shoot you. <laughs> like, yeah. That's a lot of that war as well. I think that would have been my role. Shooting people at the back? No, no, I would have been running. <laughs> I'd have been like, I don't want to go get killed. You need to go watch the History Channel three-part miniseries on Grant. It's okay. based off, the executive producer is, that, is the author of the book that I'm, I'm reading on it. Man, and I could, you, I don't know, man. Could you, could you see, ever see yourself serving in the military? Like, Yeah, absolutely. You could? You got the... Yeah, I, I, I thought I about it. it. I've thought about it before. I mean, I'm grateful for people who've served, but I just can't. I can't see it. I think it's like a calling. I do believe it's a calling. There's special people, and if yeah. I needed to do it, I, I, I would. I am. I will tell you this: it's a watching these guys in the Civil War battles. Yeah, like if you there's a, a battle called the Battle of the Wilderness, Johnny. Okay. The wilderness. Never is, heard of that is one. An area in Virginia. Okay. They actually lost more soldiers in two days than Shiloh. Okay. Mm. And the reason it's a wilderness is, is it's like all woods. And yes, Ulysses S. Grant's army, he's now uh, directly coming after Lee, with which no other general would do. Mm-hmm. I'd have a fight. It would kind of end in a, in a stalemate, or Lee would win, and the North would retreat. And that's what Lincoln was like so frustrated with. He finally found a general that was just going to go after Lee until it was over. Yeah. And... They cross this river and Lee says, well, they have more soldiers than us, but we'll even the playing field. So if you hide out in the woods, mm-hmm. by the way, woods that you grew up in, this is a Virginia <clears throat> and you already know everything about it. Yeah. So that, that's why the whole, like the South was completely superior militarily. I think they had a better military leader than most of the Northern generals who led up to that point. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was better than Ulysses S. Grant, which is proved by the fact that he lost. I don't think it was just superior firepower either, but he was defending homeland for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so they have they they're building. In fact, it's actually the beginning of a lot of what would be in World War One with trench warfare. Robert E. Lee actually came up with a lot of that in the Civil War. It was a lot of advanced technology to we're going to entrench ourselves in multiple layers and levels of trenches. Mm-hmm. So that you, it's not like you just you know breach one and now you're in. 
Like in my, it would, it was, it was, he was very smart how he laid out. And then Grant started doing the same thing. They had these long entrenchments, these long, um, sieges of cities where they would kind of have multiple, like almost a no man's land in between all the yeah. same things you see in World War One. Uh, that's going to happen, you know, 60 years later. But that being said, they cross this river, they get into the woods and the Confederates are waiting on them. And Johnny, it's like 17,000 guys die on the union side in two days, Hmm. two days with some of it still being musket fire. The woods, it's in the summer. I believe the woods catch on fire. A forest fire breaks out. Oh, wow. And all of the wounded soldiers are trapped inside like an oven. And at night, because they couldn't go in after them because it's on fire. Yeah. And because there's still sharpshooters everywhere. They would lay in their camp waiting for the next day and just hear these guys basically just being tortured and burned to death as they bled out in the middle of the, of the woods. So to my, I said all that to say. This is the most upbeat podcast. We've ever <laughs> I would not want to be a soldier <laughs> in the time that they were in where they still sometimes would line up and just march into an open field of musket fire. You know what I'm yeah. saying? As you want to fly a drone. So I think I'd be, <laughs> I mean. I think, you sit on your computer, you check things out. <laughs> Man, I am so grateful for all the soldiers who, who oh. do go and do that. So thank you if you're a listener to that. And yes, forgive my history um, ner- nerdery that takes I've never path. heard that when people burning alive and you have to hear it from your... That's... Battle of the Wilderness, man. That's not... Yeah. That's not cool. I was... Uh, that's why I would run and get shot in the back. I, I think if I had to choose, maybe. But then yeah. if you run, though, there'd forever be a deserter. You know what I'm saying? Well, and so, then so. You're, that's what my, that's what my uh, great-great-grandchildren would be like. Yeah, there's a little... Oh. Daddy W, Grandpa W. <laughs> ran away. He ran. They call him Runaway W. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, dude, I was running the other day. There was a mail truck that passed by me and then stopped at a mailbox up ahead. And then I looked over to the right. and was near a wooded area. Mm-hmm. And there was a, I want to say, about a five-foot snake that okay. was standing up, like curled and standing up like a cobra. At you? He was on the other side of the road. But here's what I know. He was was like, come on over. You know, I hear all those things like a snake, if they want to strike or, you know, you couldn't outrun them. It's like a bear or whatever. I always assume if a bear, like, you know, I can run pretty fast when I'm scared. But it's a, yeah. But supposedly you can't, you know, as long as the bear. Or you're supposed to just stop and play dead. Make yourself bigger than the bear. Use Or as the endorsement book says, use your scare bear app. I don't have, I don't have enough time to make myself bigger than that bear. (laughs) You start just eating everything in sight. You're, you're gonna have to wait, Mister Bear. <laughs> he's like, here, eat this fish. Make yourself um, bigger. No, that's how he's gonna make himself bigger is by eating you. It's true. Anyway, I think that the mail truck ran over part of the snake and it stunned it, so it kind of went up into this. But all I saw suddenly, he was again across the street, uh-huh. but close enough. I was like, hey, like I, I like, had, you, like by a, the way, you're doing a great snake impression <laughs> over there. It's like a you curled up and you kind of slithered like Axl Rose when he used to do that. He would do the, the Sweet Child of Mine dance. You just did the Axl Rose leather pants, Sweet Child of Mine dance. Oh my gosh! Wow, that's good. It's good, but it didn't. You didn't get bit. No, he the, the male the male lady. She was so nice. She was like, "Did I kill it?" I was like, "No," and I got to run past there on my way back. <laughs> and so we both kind of. I took my camera and it it finally gathered itself enough and slithered back into the woods. But I got to be honest with you, the rest you had of, a story to tell. The rest of the day, yeah, I was running near tall grass, and it was like, oh my gosh, like you know. But it's like a lightning strike, right? You're like, well, it could never. It's a snake once strike. Once you see like a, a lightning once strike. Once you see a snake, that's the snake you saw for the day. 
I hope so. I don't know. I mean, who the heck knows? You're looking around now on my couch like, are there snakes in your house? I, well, like one point I felt something on my leg while I'm running, which makes no sense. But hey, and I kind of had like this knee-jerk reaction. It makes snake, no sense that a, a snake, snake is somehow on me. Crawl up your leg. <laughs> And just be like, I like running. This is all right. <laughs> it's good. Can I hitch a ride? Wish I had legs. How far are you heading? Far as Lexington? I don't know. So yeah, I don't, he, he hitched a ride. I don't know why he's wanting to go to Lexington so bad. Man. Snakes love it up there. That would have to be, yeah, that would have to be some long leg hair before you wouldn't notice a snake just. It's just one of, like I came out, I was typing the other day. I type on my deck now above all else. Like I have a, a shade that pulls down, yeah. a ceiling fan above me. I have a fire table there for when it's cold. Like I have all, and it's now hooked up to propane, like to the house. So I don't have to have a tank or anything. So I have all that I want, Johnny, for living a truly good life. Wow. And a huge spider crawls up on my computer while I'm there. Right. And I go to get something to kill him. Because the last thing I want to do is start, I've learned my way, by, by the hard way. You don't go swiping at something until you have the proper tools to ensure yeah. that it won't, you won't flick it somewhere you can't see it. Yeah, because then you have to burn your house down. Right. And now I came back and I got him and he quickly ran in down into the deck. Between, I thought you were going to say he ran into your keyboard. Into there's the, a spider in your computer now. <laughs> He's in there right now working on the memory. Uh, <laughs> hey, man. He's a solid state spider. And so he, anyway, he went into the, the between the slats yeah. of the deck. And, and for the rest of the day, I felt creepy crawlies. Cause yeah. I never, yeah, I did not get to dispose of him. So and now he may still dispose of me. Yeah, that happened to me one time. I was driving in my car uh, and I saw a black widow in my car. And then I reached over to like try to find something to kill it. And then right as I reached for it, it went behind like oh. the little underneath the thing and the yeah so now it's in the guts of the car mm-hmm. just hiding in the look the door panel or something and i'm just like i gotta sell this car yeah because i mean it's gonna wait until i'm going 85 one day yep and just be like i'm here and you're like <laughs> <laughs> surprise and then Oh, then I swerve into a ditch and then the spider conveniently goes away and then be like this guy was just driving along Mm-hmm. And he just swerved his car into a ditch. Yeah, it's like you said you were running. and You ran through like a thing of like gnats or something the other day, <laughs> and you're freaking out. But no one on the road they can, can see, see the, gnats. the gnats. They just see a man having a panic attack. Right. Yeah. I now spray myself down with off on my clothes because I will. I'll get swarmed in the mornings, especially where I run. Yeah. And they're like the biting flies. Yeah. Like we'll come and I mean, dude, I got. One, it wouldn't stop. I mean, I hit him two or three times, and he kept coming back and trying to go into my ear. It was crazy. Yeah. It wasn't just gnats. It was like all these. So, yeah, I'm now I found But you didn't some, stop running, John. You kept going. Well, I'd actually stopped. So what I do is I run, and I stop probably still two miles from my house. Yeah. I have a loop, and I stop there, and that's like where I kind of do my praying time. So also like I'll run four and then pray two, you kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And uh, isn't that just like mm, our Lord, John? Mm, mm. If you're not praying as far as you're running, then my friend... I'm preaching louder than you're shouting. I am running faster than you're chasing. I don't know. So um, it was like a, I was walking already when they started attacking me, and I literally had to take off running again. I couldn't get away from it. I took off running, which, you know, when you've already stopped, it's hard to start. It's like again, an angry so. Twitter mob that we were just talking about. Oh, my goodness. Trying they, to cancel you. They were trying to cancel my life. Man. They were. You know, it reminds me of an old story about a football coach that he's showing his players film from a team that he coached years ago. And he shows a player get hit, boom, falls down, you know, 
boom, gets hit, falls down, stays down. Boom, another player gets hit, keeps getting back up. Boom, gets hit, keeps getting back up. Boom, gets keeps getting back up. He's like, which one of these players do you think I want on my team? They all raise their hand. The one that keeps getting back up, he's like, no, I want the guy hitting these people. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. That will preach, John. It will. It will. And they'll appreciate you letting us keep hitting you, listener. And we, you just, you don't stay down. You keep getting back up. New episodes talk about that every week. And uh, we do know that, man, times are, um, we were saying beforehand, like, we don't want to talk about just heavy stuff all the time. We know we know you come here also to have fun and to laugh and those things. We appreciate you hopefully opening your mind. You know, we talked about this morning, being a disciple means taking in new information all the time and continually aligning it or, or finding out where you are and being okay with maybe adjusting and growing. So we don't have all the answers, but we are taking the new information and trying to adjust and grow all the time. And we appreciate, you know, having, that's why this is better to me than social media, because at least you can hear the tone of our voice and, and voices, hear the conversations, um, and know that we may backtrack on various ways that we've used our voices, you know, before and, and keep growing and that's okay. So thanks for enduring that. And hopefully that's a process that's happening in your life as well. Um, We'd love for you to share this. Uh, we had more downloads last month than ever before in our history. Wow, that was exciting. And it's a it's a colorful history. Yeah, yeah. Three, two and a half, two and two odd years. Well, the first year wasn't as consistent, but uh, John, why would you impugn our legacy that I'm, way? I'm just saying, I don't know. I think we did like 26 episodes or 30 episodes the first year, and then we've pretty much been on weekly ever since. Yeah, you know, except for that month we took off last year so i don't even remember that yeah it just feels like it's been endless with you (laughs) it does i feel like i'm locked in a tornado bunker with you (laughs) uh we did have some new comments this week somebody asked for me to give advice to new comics yeah saw that and what i've been saying on podcasts because i've been asked that question by several people who've had me on for little live stream things in this time because a lot of comics are doing that and what i've been saying is quit because there's too many of us already, and I need the work. Uh, uh, and that's what's in my heart. No. Uh, I would say find a, find a mentor. Um, it's very important. And that, that goes to what you're saying about open your mind. Because yeah. you have an idea of what you think when you start out. And you have an idea of how funny you are, how funny you could be. And you need to be around people who will tell you, like, hey... You think you have 20 minutes. You have two minutes mm. of material. And like a mentor will tell you that kind of stuff. I never forget when you told me that. Yeah. And you had already written three books. And I was like, John, you've got 12 <laughs> pages here. <laughs> no, but you need somebody that can be encouraging as well. Obviously, if it wasn't for mentors in my life that said, man, you got something, kid. You know, I mean, I think about people like Michael Jr. and yeah. Tim Hawkins and so many people who go, um, I mean, I think about uh, a guy named Robert G. Lee who'd been doing comedy for 25 years. And he was just like, I'm, he, he did this show with me and I was just like trying to just stay out of his way, watch him and learn from him. And he was just like, how long have you been doing this? And I said, I think at that time it was like five years. He goes, you have so much material where somebody's been doing this five years. Mm-hmm. And it meant so, I still think about it. I think about what that meant to me because I was like, okay, I'm on the right. It wasn't like I was like, I have arrived, but I was like, Somebody who's been doing this a long time and has a good eye for this is yeah. saying something positive. So you need to be around people who are, I would say, get John Acuff talked about in his one of his uh, morning, he's called the morning, is it called the morning get up or morning something? It's like a thing he does every day. 
and it's a little video, uh, self-help kind of a thing. And he talked about getting a mentor that's 20 years ahead of you and a mentor that's or 10 years ahead of you and 10 years behind you. Hmm. So if you find, you find somebody to mentor who's coming up and ask them, you know, get their opinions on things because they'll teach you things and then find somebody who's 10 years ahead of you. In my case, 20 years. Comedy is one of those things where 10 years is nothing. Yeah. You find you spend 10 years trying to get good and find out what your perspective is yeah. so that you can write your jokes properly. So it's almost like that. You know, you, that's like five minutes yeah. of your career is that first 10 years. And so, um, um, but yeah, so that's what I would say is find somebody. I always tell people to write things down. You'll forget it. You have, everybody has funny ideas. You do this too. You'll have funny ideas for a book or an, a poignant thing that you make sure you want to say it exactly this way. Yeah. And if you're not somebody who writes that down, it's gone. you will forget it. It's gone. Cause you always think, well, there's no way I'll forget this. Yeah. It's too good. Shocking. That yeah. Be gone. It'll be gone. And so you have to learn to, so I use a program called Evernote. Yeah. Find one that works for you. So we'll use OneNote. I use OneNote, yeah. Uh, that has a corresponding app with your phone yep. that, that they sync back and forth to. That helps. And man, go log it. Even if it's something that's just like, it's a sentence that you can come back to. And uh, that's helped me a lot. I keep track of all my, anything I've ever done. If you're a young comic and you're already performing, keep track of every set that you do. Even if you just write down the bullet points of the set you did. Because yeah. I stopped doing that probably five or six years in, and now I'm doing it again. And it hurt me. That middle period, middle chunk of my career, if you look at it from beginning to where it is now, I lost some heads, some steam because I was getting invited back places yeah. that I'd been 18 months before. And I'd be like, what jokes did I tell here? Yeah. And I knew I wanted to do the new stuff, but I couldn't remember. And so I would say, keep a lit, keep a log of everything you've done so that you can also see growth. Like, oh man, I was doing that joke then. I've already discarded that. Or, okay, if I did that, then I need to go back. Easy, you can go, yeah. easy tricks for that that I use in sermons and books, because there's so many different versions of a book that we yeah. write or, or sermons too, is like, just save as, and every time you do a new event or a new version of something, mm-hmm. Put a date with put a date in the title of the document and yeah. just save it in new folders. So like I have sermons digitally all the way back to oh eight, mm-hmm. and you were just a pup, and they have but but they're categorized by year in there, and I can go back if I want to search a word and see it, and then on same thing we'll go through ten versions of a manuscript just in one session of editing. Every time it's a new one, I'll put I'll I'll resave it even though it's two words different than the, than the last one. But I'll put the new, most late, most recent date. In fact, I keep one folder in those folders that's yeah. called final to date. And then every time I make the newest version, I stick it in that one folder. It's the only document in that folder. And I pull all the rest of them out into the old folder. Okay. So that I can always quickly get to my most recent thing and I can still browse all the old histories. Yeah. It's a lot of different, Word documents don't take up a lot of, of space. Right, they right, right. So having that, if someone, and sometimes there's confusion. Wait a second, I thought we made this change. And then I can go back and look. And see if we missed it, where it was, which I mean, it's a business thing for me. I have to know I'm the keeper of all the versions. So I yeah. have to know that. But I would encourage you, yeah, if you have a set list, save it with, you know, t- today would be six or when this comes out, 6.15.20. And it's at the end every time, you know, and that you now can can easily look at that folder and see exactly when and where it was. Um, and it just it's just leaving that, that little discipline changes almost everything for me. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too. Uh, when you do, when you do an abstract thing like speak for a living or write for a living, it's yeah. very it's a creative endeavor, and so it's easy to fall into that place of like, 
Well, what I trade in is ideas and that's an abstract concept. And so I will let my kind of a, uh, a, a system or a machine of discipline go because it's like, well, look, these are just jokes. And I, I fall into that sometimes. So it's, it's been interesting to try to keep myself disciplined, even in this time where I'm not really like working on stages and, uh, I'm trying to work on a book idea, a joke book idea. And it's like, it's hard because I write a lot on stage. So I depend on those audiences to help me craft my new stuff. I'll start with a kernel of an idea and I'll let them help me with their responses. And I explore these things on stage. So not having a stage to walk and say these things into a microphone, it does, it has hurt my process, but I've had to kind of pivot and begin a new way of thinking about it. And hopefully there'll be growth that comes from this, but it's been hard for everybody, but I would say those are the main things. Always write it down, find a mentor, find somebody who you respect and not necessarily bug them for advice, but see what, see if they would teach you something like what, what would you change? What would you do? What do you do? How do you develop what you do? And how do you, um, you know, I've asked that to a lot of people who are older in the biz, like, what would you do different and what would you change? Uh, what do you think you did a hundred percent right? Yeah. That you're grateful that you did that. You know, those are always good questions, you know, but I mean that opening yourself up to a mentor is hard. Because it says, I'm not doing everything 100% right. Some people are willing to admit that more than others. Comedy is one of those things where you have a little bit of pride going into it. It's like, well, my viewpoint matters, or you wouldn't be on stage saying it. Yeah. So it's it's harder to be vulnerable. But I found it, it's really helped me. Yeah. Yeah, and at least, even if someone doesn't like what you do with a joke, like, it will probably make it better. And, or you will either still feel completely strong that, okay, I know everyone doesn't like this, but I still feel strongly about it. Yeah. But if it doesn't go through a process where you allow it to have some criticism, mm-hmm. whether it's whatever you do, then there are some things I get criticized for. Then I'll go, you know what? This is, I, I feel strongly about this. Thanks yeah. for helping me realize I still feel strongly about this. You know, That's 100% right. And that's the thing that sometimes comics fall into is they let other comics speak too much into their process. Yep. And what happens is you end up sounding like other comics. Yep. Uh, not like yourself. You're like, oh, what would like if I was just to go to Tim Hawkins and be like, Tim, what do you think of this? And be like, I do more act outs. Mm-hmm. You need to be more zany with this. And that's not you. That's not me. Yeah. And so there came, became a point where I would ask Tim advice on something, and he would craft. He's he would start knowing that he was my a mentor of mine. He would craft the advice for me. He'd be like, Well, you know what I would do, but but do this. Yeah. Or maybe you just do this kind of act out where it's not a drastic thing because I know you don't move around a lot. But what if you did this? And that's a smart mentor. Right. Right. Who did, he who, knew me. He wasn't yeah. saying, hey, here's how I'll make you the next Tim Hawkins. He right. was trying to make me the first Johnny W. Mm. Boom. Guys, John. come on now. How do we end on anything better than that? This is as good as it gets, guys. This is as good as it gets. Be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Did Oscar Wilde say that? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't do quotes or history. <laughs> so, hey, guys, thank you for listening, though, today to all. And make sure you share it and leave a review and, um, you know, maybe get a friend to listen and maybe have them go back into the archives. And uh, we appreciate you guys being a part of what we do every week on Talk About Them.
Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.